Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today we are talking about growing up in public. I have author Dr. Deborah Heitner on because... The truth is, we don't know the answer to so much of what is worrying us about what it is like for kids today to have their entire lives completely public, not just because of their own use of social media. So this isn't just about older kids, but also our use with our younger kids. Now, before we get to this episode, May I please remind you, it is going to be so fun. Please pre-order The Five Principles of Parenting. Go to DrAliza.com, order your copy now, and you'll get an early chapter. It's a really juicy one. It's on resilience, and it has very specific guidance and tools to help promote resilience. And we're going to have a conversation about that on a free Zoom in October, just for my pre-order peeps. And we're going to go through the content and answer your questions. So get to it today. It really matters both because I want to get this information to you and see you. And also because it really helps get this work out there in the world. Pre-orders coming from the people who already know that I'm going to be delivering a really important book that will be helpful. Let's other people know to take this seriously and get it out into the bigger world. If you enjoy this episode, let me know, write a little review so I know what content you're looking for, or DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. Thank you. I so appreciate you. So what can we do to set the stage? Like, let's say we're starting early. What can we do to set the stage for kids to navigate this world. We want to have good conversations with them. Like say your kid says, I want to be famous or I want to be an influencer. I would get real curious. Like, what does it mean to you when you say like, oh, wow, that YouTuber, you know, or that TikTok person like has so many followers. What does that even mean to you? And what would you want with that? Like, say you had a hundred thousand or a million followers. What would you want to say to a million people? And is there anything that might be stressful about having that many people watch your content, watch the videos, watch, you know, see your photos and just really get curious about having those conversations with kids, observing what they experience as they engage, whether it's playing a game on a public server, whether it's using school devices to share about themselves, you know, 
Do they really seem to understand what it is to have an audience? Another thing they might ask or that you could share about is have you ever unfollowed or disconnected from someone online for any reason? And you could talk about kind of going through if you do this, like and cleaning up your connections over time and pruning them. And those are good conversations to have with kids because it just helps them to start to think about what are my boundaries? What does privacy and reputation really mean? You know, in the book I've written about like big privacy and small privacy. So like big privacy is like your algorithm and the ways that, you know, Amazon secretly knows that you're going on vacation to a French speaking country and offers you a guidebook or knows that you are shopping for mattresses or whatever. And theoretically, they're not listening to our conversations, but I think we all suspect that maybe they are. And small Mm. privacy is like you post something about a family gathering and your third cousin that you didn't invite, you know, feels left out and you like totally forgot about your third cousin following you on Facebook and you weren't thinking about it, right? You just like forget who's on there. And that happens Mm -hmm. all the time to kids, that kind of context collapse where they're posting for their friends, but they forget that their parents are on there. They're, you know, in some cases, kids are in small school communities and their teachers might see some of the things they post or share in a group text. And that feels very violating to them. Just like when we post something, you know, on our social media and maybe their, you know, a, a friend sees it through their parents' social media, the kids will feel violated. Like you shared about that. And now my friend knows I wear Superman pajamas, you know, and maybe that's not my public image at school. And so those kinds of things are tricky. And so th- these are just good conversations to have with our kids so that we can get them thinking about reputation and privacy and boundaries, but without threatening them, without saying, you know, you'll never get into Princeton if you post that. Yeah. I mean, what is the reality of all those scare tactics? Is there any basis for that? Now, those that's, that's separate from what I think is really important that you talk about, which is who am I? What is my identity? And how do I want to express myself in this world? And what is my character? And that is, of course, the deeper, more important question. But for parents who actually might believe that Princeton is going to rescind an offer or that their their concern really is about the public persona, is that rooted in reality? Or is that really rooted in a couple of really extreme cases that were just really off the rails? Yeah, I mean, minimally, right? Can can colleges, for example, look at what someone posts in high school and potentially eliminate them? If you're under a tremendous scrutiny, say you're going to get a named scholarship or you're going to be a big athlete at that school, they might look at you. If you are a regular applicant, they have seven minutes with your application and they're barely going to get through your transcript and skim your essay. And then you're going to go in a yes or no pile. And that's how it is for most kids applying to college. Now, applying for a very visible job someday, like say you want to be president of a company, say you want to be a journalist on a really hot beat, say you want to be in politics, that's a different story, right? The scrutiny is going to be intense. But that's hopefully going to be scrutiny of your adult life. I don't think any of us should support a world where that scrutiny goes back to what you posted in middle school. And colleges certainly aren't going to look before high school if they look at all, which is a huge if. They do not have the time or the staff to (laughs) go through your stuff. And, and, And the kinds of things that parents will say to kids will affect them in terms of admissions are not the kinds of things that keep kids out of college. In other words, if you don't want your kid to wear a really racy outfit, if you don't want your kid to drop an F-bomb 
then just say, I don't think that reflects well on you, or I have some concerns about that, or are you going to be warm enough in that or whatever, but don't, we don't body shame our kids, but also don't say Princeton won't let you in if you drop an F-bomb in the group text in seventh grade, because that is absolutely wildly untrue. And you undermine your credibility as a parent when you overreach to that degree. If you don't want your kid to do something, give them an actual reason. Like, somebody's dad's probably on that group text. So if you want to get invited to bar mitzvahs this year or get invited to that baseball game, like maybe don't be the kid with the most potty mouth on the group text because it doesn't reflect well on you. Or if you post pictures of yourself that make people question your judgment and someone's looking at you for a babysitting job or a lifeguarding job or a camp counselor job, it might not go well. Right. Like we want to be honest and also be developmental. It also doesn't make sense to talk about college with sixth and seventh graders. Right. We want to talk right, about like, the what now. They, they will not care. <laughs> yeah. They will not care. They shouldn't care. Yes. Hopefully they will. Not Hopefully. Care. And it's not accurate. It just, it also tells kids don't get caught, which I think is a really pernicious message. Well, because that drives kids underground. Like, oh, well, then I can post the terrible snarky remark, you know, somewhere else. I'll just go on my anonymous account and do it. And that's not what we're trying to say. We're trying to say the reason not to, when we, when we're talking about kids who post harmful things, which are the kids who've been kept out of college, like we saw in, you know, back in five years ago, there was that story of Harvard kids who were joking about the Holocaust, right, in a very gross way right. and, and doing it, you know, at length in an admitted students group for Harvard. And they did get rescinded, right? So it's like a big example of that kind of thing. Don't joke about genocide, right? And then you're okay. And that should be not something we do because we don't want to get rescinded, but because it's not funny. And like, if in doubt, don't share it out. Like if something pops in your head and you're like, is this funny or is this just outrageous? Like maybe like have a waiting period with yourself, right? I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. And and I will say it's tricky. I've I've seen teenagers get in trouble for things, and and they're you know they really are not always able to process the consequences of how something will sound, and they are trying to be outrageous, and they are sensation seeking, and they are you know they want that reaction from peers, and so that can happen, right? People can be really misunderstood, and I think that's way I would frame it to kids: is you don't want to be misunderstood. You don't want to be misunderstood. You want to make sure, and you want to make sure you're not causing harm. If you think something could cause harm, then don't share it. So I'm really into finding balance. So that means balanced eating. Sometimes I have things that might be considered a little hard on my stomach because they're heavy on the carbs and things that kind of make me feel grumpy. And when I can find something that is delicious and soft and fluffy and tastes like bread and is bread, but it doesn't have the parts of the bread that make me feel blechy, and it does have the stuff I need, particularly at this age in my life and time period, so it's high in fiber and has no sugar, that is hero bread. I mean, it's a perfect name because hero makes sliced bread, buns, and tortillas that are available on hero.com and Amazon making life super easy. And it's actually tastes really good. So visit hero.co and use the code humans at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. That's H-E-R-O.co and add the code humans for 10% off your first order. This episode is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online therapy platform. I cannot tell you how many people say to me, I want to try therapy, but I just don't have time to access it. I cannot find anybody. I don't know how to fit it into my schedule and on and on. 
BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if for whatever reason the therapist isn't right for you, you can switch at any time. Now, I obviously am incredibly passionate about mental health, and there is a serious shortage of mental health care providers. And when you need help, making sure that you can find it and have a high quality connection with a licensed therapist that is available on your schedule online so that you can get started right away. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash humans today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash humans. Sometimes having someone that you can talk to, whether it's because you've got something you want to work out or because you want to maintain mental fitness is just at your fingertips. Go to betterhelp.com slash humans. What you said about joking about genocide, you're totally right. We do lose a lot of the forest through the trees when we're like focused on what will happen if you get caught, which is totally the least of their problems. If you're really thinking about their growth and development and your relationship and their relationship with themselves and others. But I understand why parents do it. It's the same reason parents use scare tactics for all sorts of things. But we know from research, it just doesn't actually get them where we're hoping for them to go. And it totally loses our credibility. So I think there are many reasons why that's such an important message. And also it's making us lose perspective. And we don't, we don't want to share when it happens to someone else. Like if, if you see something really horrible happen, like say the confrontation in Central Park with mm-hmm. Christian Cooper, and he, I mean, he's just got a new book out now and it's lovely. Don't share the video because you're doing more harm by sharing the video. And, and certainly if it's a child or a teenager who's doing the harmful thing, we don't want to share the video because say they're targeting a group, you're actually participating in that harm by sharing the video. What you want to do mm-hmm. instead is say that comes around in your student's school. Like say you have a kid in high school and someone does share a homophobic poster or a racist poster that goes around. What can you do to make your kid's high school safer for kids of color? What are you doing to make the community safer for queer kids? Like focus on supporting the group that was targeted, not on resharing the outrage and the post because that's actually just doubling down on harm. And when you're talking about a child, you're giving them less of an opportunity to move forward. And what we want with a child and with an adult, I would say too, but especially with a child who's still developing or an adolescent, is to give them the opportunity to get it right in the future, right? And not feel so hopeless that they've made this super public mistake that everyone has shared that they can never move forward. So I think the idea of kind of pylon culture, unfortunately, can kind of obliterate people and they can't move Mm. forward and learn from their experiences because they're so focused on defending themselves from obliteration. So I really love that too. We're taking away the opportunity to even have the self-reflection that's necessary when we do cause harm because we're so busy covering up, you know, like focusing on the wrong things. And that really takes a lot of opportunities away from kids. I hadn't hadn't thought about it that way. And it is a really tough, I mean, that's the crux of this is like, how do you do that thing called growing up, which 
inherent in doing it is to constantly fall on your face and make mistakes. How do you do that in a world where everything is so closely monitored? Every word, every action, every thought. How do we help our kids understand and even believe that mistakes are actually part of growth when culture is telling them one mistake and you're out? I think we want to do as much as we can to push back against that and to not participate in that. And also to teach kids, say there's something awful on the internet, which we know there's plenty of awful things on the internet. Don't even hate watch it. Don't go to it and make the negative comment. Again, find the people you have affinity with. Don't watch the misogynist YouTube channel because literally that person is profiting off your eyeballs and your time. Instead, find the people in your high school who are working to unite against sexual harassment and go work with them on something, right? I think it's so important to not get sucked into the internet outrage machine as as beckoning as it can be. So I want to address what has been on people's minds and talk about the Surgeon General's report when Dr. Vivek Murthy sounded the alarm about social media. I want to talk about it because I think that there's such an important message that is in there and also that got lost in there because this is just how human beings work. We we saw a couple of sentences from that report and the media found a couple sentences from that report and that is the exclusive focus of that report. But I'd love to talk about it from a bigger, broader perspective and figure out what we really need to think about because we're not going to cancel social media. That's just not actually ever happening unless for some reason, you know, young people decide to rebel against the entire world of technology and go the opposite direction. But in absence of that, what can we take from that report and think rationally and reasonably about? I think the recommendation that kids get some sleep is a good one. And it's exactly, I mean, a lot of things that he said there, I was like, oh, he must have read ScreenWise back in 2016 because I said all those things. Get, getting sleep is huge. Unplugging kids at night, making sure they have a break and that because we know for their physical and mental health, that's important. Looking at the amount of time they spend on it. And that doesn't for me mean like a strict number of minutes limit, but certainly, you know, the report pointed to some research that suggested that three hours a day is a little different than 20 minutes a day. And we know this, it makes sense. So just making sure our kids' lives have some balance when they can. That doesn't mean there might not be a day where you, you know, binge Netflix or YouTube, but ideally not every day is a, you know, multi-hour TikTok marathon because it's going to be harder to separate yourself from that algorithm over time if that's every single day of your life. So I think that's really important is looking at the amount of time, looking at sleep, looking at balance, and then making sure kids can understand the algorithm a bit so that they know what kinds of content is especially harmful So if they see content that promotes self-harm or eating disorders, they understand that this is really harmful stuff and that they want to, you know, block or not like, or do as much as they can to kind of reseed their feed with something positive. So some of the kids I talked to for growing up in public talked about intentionally following body positive folks, intentionally following people who were supportive of Black Lives Matter, intentionally following people who were supportive of queer and trans teenagers, right? Like, like it, it's so important to find the people you want to follow, whether that's people who are out there being influencers or deciding my whole feed should just be my friends. I don't want to follow anyone I don't know personally. And I want to like keep my feed close in that way. And also 
learning about what else you can do to kind of counter what you're seeing in those spaces. Do you want to make sure you're following a certain news source or do you want to make sure you're only reading fiction at bedtime? Like what are the things that you want to do for your own mental health? And I, I do think teenagers are getting smarter about the ways these apps affect them. And so sharing things like the Surgeon General Report with your tween or teen and talking with them about it and thinking like, yeah, if you had to make a warning label for Snapchat or TikTok, like what would you even write on it? It'd be really interesting to hear, right? Because the whole idea of, you know, how cigarettes come with (laughs) the Surgeon General warning, like what would the TikTok warning look like? And what would a 13-year-old say about that? And I would be really intrigued to ask kids those kinds of questions. And those are the kinds of conversations I like to have with kids because kids are really smart. I've worked with a lot of kids on apps when I go out to schools and ask them like, how would you adapt you know, Snapchat or Instagram or group text to make them better, friendlier, you know, safer. And they actually have really good ideas. So I think that would be a great conversation to have. But I I don't think we just need to panic. I don't think, you, you, you know, if your kid seems fine, they probably are. And I think that's an important thing to trust. And that like, all kids like to do things that their parents might not think is the highest and best use of their time. But if your kid is watching a squirrel maze right now on YouTube, you may not think it's the highest and best use of their time, but they're probably not being harmed. So you have to really look at like, what is the content they're absorbing? What are they putting out there about themselves? Is it fun for them? Is it a source of joy and laughter? Is it a big dragon and hurting them? Is it making them feel super isolated? Is it making them feel targeted? Are they being harassed? There's a huge spectrum of experience from like pretty neutral to very positive to like really bad. Yeah. It's you know, it's tricky because for our age, like we grew up in the era when the Surgeon General warning on cigarettes was changed the game. Like there is like all of a sudden C. Everett Coop. I mean, I remember like we went from not really thinking about cigarettes as a culture to banning them from public places and airplanes and, you know, restaurants and everything just changed because of the Surgeon General's warning. And that's the last Surgeon General's warning that sounded as loud and resonated so much with parents. And so I wonder if the this current warning feels like, because there's no like a little bit of cigarettes, right? Like you can't, it's never good for you. <laughs> and it's not quite as simple with social media, but if you receive it in that way and you're receiving the messages that are kind of consistent with what we we heard about cigarettes, I can see parents just freaking out. And I know that right now, a lot of parents are like going in one of two directions. One, which is the genie's out of the bottle. So there's nothing I can do or, okay, I'm taking everything. No more screens. This is a disaster. I've let you have cigarettes and now I have to take it away, which is, I think probably not necessarily going to get the best outcomes that we're hoping for. And so what I would be curious about is how to help parents understand the space between and also that we don't necessarily know. Like we we have to to go with a lot of our own understanding of the individual experience in our households, like who our child is and what it what they're going through. If you see harmful things in the algorithm versus puppies and bunnies, is there something you can do to shift the algorithm? I actually don't know. Like is there a technical thing that you can do? There are some things like you can report really harmful content. You can like things that are really positive, like say 
you're, you know, following some really positive people, you know, I would avoid certain gray areas like, like fitness is very sort of diet culture adjacent. Diet culture is really toxic. So I would kind of get my fitness information somewhere else. Like maybe if I want fitness information, first of all, ideally, if you're a teenager, you're getting your fitness information from your coach or your team or someone safe who actually knows you and your body or your pediatrician. If you know, you're not getting it from the internet at all, but like, say I'm an adult and I want to like watch some yoga. Maybe I download yoga with Adrian and I'm done. I don't need to be going to follow like 90 yoginis on Pinterest, a few of whom might have some cuckoo weight loss plan for me that makes me suddenly feel bad about my body or like nudges me. I shouldn't even say makes mm-hmm. me suddenly feel because that's kind of the fear about the internet, but it might like play on my existing insecurities until, you know, I click on a smoothie recipe that's super adjacent to diet culture. And then I'm like down the bad rabbit hole. So I think that's, that's the challenge. So it's like, if you're going to be in those lanes, again, maybe you pick your influencer, you know, your yoga person to follow or whatever, and you follow, you just like get their videos and you're not kind of going in this algorithmic place with it. And okay. that's, that's an, that's a good thing to think about. And then just making sure also maybe you're just following your friends and that if the, you haven't seen a friend on there in a while, you can check the algorithm to see is like, is that person getting hidden from me for some reason? Can I like some of their posts? And that will show me more. A lot of kids are using social media predominantly to direct message. They're on Snapchat to message. They're on Instagram to message. They're not actually posting or like reading tons of content there. Where kids are getting more content, I would say is YouTube and TikTok. And those algorithms are tricky. Like TikTok is so good at figuring out what you might want to see. That's why it's so hard to walk away from. And they're really mm. niche you know, like stuff you've never even thought about. Like, I'm like, I didn't even know that I was interested in X, but now I'm like, oh yeah, you know. I'm mesmerized. Right? Yeah. Like videos about how to organize your fridge if you have ADHD are like actually really compelling to me. And now that I've seen one, I've seen 20 because TikTok now knows that I, that's apparently my jam. And while that can be super harmless and possibly awesome, Lisa Demore pointed out, and you point out that the norming of some of these things. Things like self-harm. I mean, I think that's really dangerous. And seeing self-harm is going to be very triggering for kids, right? It's going to be very, you know, so that's, we definitely don't want that. And that's where if you have a kid who has harmed themselves, if you have a kid who has expressed concern about self-harm. If you have a kid who's talked about ideation, if you have a kid who is coming out of the hospital in recovery from an eating disorder or substance use, those are kids that I would be very careful with social media. And I would talk with their therapist about a plan. I wouldn't say they should get off completely because it's such an important source of social support, but maybe they have a plan where they're only on it for certain times. And maybe it's supervised. Like maybe you're in the room with them. Maybe you're not like looking over their shoulder, but you're like with them. Or they are have another form of grounding that they use to keep themselves kind of tethered to a reality that's not there because some kids are going to be much more vulnerable. So in, in a situation like that, I would absolutely say supported and guided reentry into social media and maybe taking some apps off their most commonly used device. I've had kids where it's not the social apps, but it's their grade app from school that's causing super stress. Take it off your phone. Don't check your grades that often. Keep the password in a drawer. Any friction you can have between you and the thing that's causing stress and anxiety is great because you're going to have a lot less access to it. I don't check the school grading out because it causes me stress and anxiety, right? And it undermines my relationship with my kid. It's not good for me to see it all the time. So I don't keep the password. I don't keep it on my most commonly used device. And that protects me from overchecking it, which I might otherwise habituate into doing. And now a word for my sponsors. This episode is partly sponsored by Nordic Naturals. 
the number one selling fish oil brand in the United States, Nordic Naturals, which I not only do I take, but I give to my children. So I, I've been giving this to them since they were tiny little things, this exact brand, because it is made the best, most reliable. And you know that kids need and adults need fish oils. Nordic Natural Supplements for Moms support female health throughout life, including at every age, stage of pregnancy, and thereafter. And the Nordic Natural Fish Oils provide a reliable source of building block omega-3s for babies, prenatal and postnatal brain, and nervous system development. I truly gave this to my babies when they were babies, and I'm still giving it to them today. And it comes in two convenient options, easy-to-swallow fish oil gels or zero-sugar gummies. I don't know if this will come as a great shock, but with teenagers and me, we do the zero sugar gummies because why not? Nordic Naturals Omega-3 products deliver foundational support for women to promote a healthy brain, heart, and immune system at the cellular level. Nordic Natural supplements for women are non-GMO verified, third-party tested for quality and contain zero artificial colors or flavors. I'm into this for kids. I'm into this for adults. You should definitely shop today at nordic.com and use the promo code RGH for 20% off your first order. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So here's an ad that I just want to acknowledge is just about making life easy. There are really easy weeknight recipes. You just fill, roll, and bake. That is Pillsbury Crescent. You just get these fill, roll, bake recipes and everybody's happy. It takes about 30 minutes or less to prep and cook. And by prep, it's pretty much just putting it on the pan and (laughs) placing it in the oven. It could not be easier. And it's the beginning of the school year. Do we really always need to make things so hard on ourselves? Make it easy. Find more weeknight dinner recipes at pillsbury.com and just give your kids a thrill by making it a little bit fun, a little unexpected. My kids definitely don't expect me to cook. So when I do, everybody's excited and I feel a little bit extra fun. Pillsbury Crescents have delicious ingredients and it kind of transforms the crescents from a side dish to a main dish. You can find Pillsbury in the dairy aisle. You can dinner prep in 30 minutes or less, and that includes cooking time. You just fill, roll, and bake. That is Pillsbury Crescent. You just get these fill, roll, bake recipes, and everybody's happy. It takes about 30 minutes or less to prep and cook. You know, those kinds of habits that you can do both for yourself and to mentor your kids are the kinds of things that we don't realize can make a massive difference in the quality of our experience and relationship to these devices. So I don't think it's a light decision. I I don't remember passwords. It's one of the great gifts for me. It's like, it's such a pain for me to figure out the password for certain things that I just end up not bothering. And I've kept it that way because I I know myself and if everything is easily accessible, it's going to be in my face and I'm going to not be able to get enough of it. Yeah. 
So I want to address, like, there are certain subjects that you talk about that are really hard because one of the things that parents will even use as an excuse for giving their kids a phone or an Apple watch is the surveillance. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you can talk about what is going on and at what point we're feeling like this is the, you know, this is the safest our kids can be. And actually I don't have life 360 or any of that stuff. I'm not for or against it. It's just not been necessary in the lifestyle that we have. But I will say that was the first time where I was like, oh my God, this is nerve wracking. And I am pretty sure it's a false sense of security, but it did feel like I get why parents like that capacity. And Mm -hmm. I know you talk a lot about like what is actually a safer world for them and having these resources so that we can watch everything and know everything. And what's just not actually more safe and may in fact be sending totally wacky messages. Yeah. I mean, the Life360 stuff is such a trap. And I I interviewed so many families for the book where they found like it undermined trust. That said, if it's used with consent and your kid is okay with it in a situation like where they're maybe on a long road trip or something, maybe it's reassuring and you, you know, it's better than checking in all the time. But if you're tracking your kid around their college campus to see if they're going to class, if you're speculating about whether the person they're visiting is their like secret new girlfriend and they just haven't told you, it's like, that's a little too much. And you're habituating your kid to a level of invasion that you wouldn't want them to accept in a romantic partner. And I think that's important too. Like, I know it's not an analogous relationship, but I think we don't want to teach our kids that they have no right to their own space. And especially as an adolescent, like their, their whole job is to learn to separate and individuate. And so it's really important that we're not over tracking Right. I, I mean, I even interviewed someone for the book who was like, I'm not checking my kids attendance in class as long as they graduate. Like I skipped class sometimes. I, I knew what I needed to do. I still graduated. Like if they want to miss class and they can still make it through <laughs> high school, like this is not. And I think about that all the time. I mean, I, I went to high school in a suburb where I could go to the mall or, you know, to the beach instead. Like we walked away and come back. And my kid's high school is super locked down compared to that. I mean, there's also like nowhere to go. Like his high school is near a Menards. It's a little sad. So there's like not any, like if you want to skip class and you're going to like shop for tires, I don't know. But it's really, it's interesting to think about how much more locked down a lot of schools are and how much more locked down a lot of kids are. And then we're like, why aren't they ready for college? Why aren't they ready for independence? You know, well, I can tell you because we're not giving them any space to get lost and figure it out. And we want our kids to even be able to manage without a phone, as you said, like, especially if my kid's somewhere where he speaks the local language, ask someone for directions. That's a safe thing to do, right? If they start acting weird, you can always walk away. But most people will just be like that way. You know, <laughs> Most strangers are not dangerous. I think yeah. we need to teach kids. And I think we're so reliant on phones that we don't teach kids like, hey, the librarian might be able to help you find that book. You know, bottom line, not all strangers are dangerous. Most strangers are fine. And so I think we actually want to teach kids to have those interactions. And it's kind of weird because we teach kids like don't talk to anyone in the world, but then you but you can get on Roblox and play with randos, which actually like could be more problematic potentially, depending on the interaction. So we, we, we're so confused about that. And I think we need to teach kids to engage in a different way to troubleshoot like, OK, I ran out of gas. What am I going to do? And I say this as someone who like we drove old cars and I, I wrote about this a little in the book, like my dad would come and rescue me sometimes. But like I needed a B plan if I, there was no place to call from. Right. So I think 
our kids need yeah. to be able to come up with that B and C plan. They need to be able to get themselves out of jams and they need to come to us sometimes. Like if they're in a jam, like somebody's circulating their nude picture or something, I absolutely want them to come to an adult in their life and get some support. But I, and I don't want them to be so afraid of getting in trouble that they won't come and, and ask for help. But the flip side is if they're just managing something minor, you know, it would be great if they do it on their own and we don't need to see it, anticipate it, be in front of it before they've even had a chance or with the grades, you know, see that they got the poor grade on the test and like be confronting them about that when they just got home. And maybe they've already talked to the teacher about a retake. Maybe they're like a mile ahead of you, or maybe they haven't seen the grade yet, but they'll see it later. Either way, it's not really your deal to put out that fire. And, you know, even in the concept of like feeling like we have to get more comfortable with the idea of how to navigate the world without all of these, I'm going to call them crutches. It is really important to have a plan B because let's say you give all of these devices and you have all this stuff, you still can run out of batteries, drop something and break it. And I would hate to think our kids are like completely stumped. They're just like, I don't know what to do. And also I was thinking about it. So in New York City, when everybody was saying, well, I'm letting my kids, because there's a, a, you know, New York, you can kind of take public transportation and walk around by yourself starting in fifth grade. And it's pretty appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of parents would say, well, okay, that's the time to get a device. But actually, I would argue it's quite dangerous to get a device then because now they're walking across the street staring at their phone and that does not make you street smart, nor does it help you look both ways when you're crossing a street, nor does it make you not look particularly vulnerable to somebody if they were to try to steal something from you or chase you down. And it can't ever be a one-size-fits-all approach because we just are all different and our kids are having different experiences. Since we don't have all day to talk about this, even though we could, what are some ways to leave this conversation with parents? What are some questions they can ask themselves and ask their kids to get curious about how to move forward in this inevitable world of growing up in public? I think we want to focus with our kids on where digital connections are positive for us, where they bring good things into our lives. But all of us have vulnerabilities. And and we've talked about when we're not in the heat of the moment, when we're not fighting about getting off the game or getting off the internet, is a good time to be like, what do you want to do with your time? You know, like how, like what is important to you? Like if you get to the end of the weekend, how will you feel if you spent all the time, you know, playing this one game versus, you know, also going outside or also going for a run or also hanging out with pet or whatever. And just kind of helping kids really start to see and self-regulate around their own experiences. And I guess the other big thing is, Don't be too quick to judge the ways kids are using social media because a lot of us worry about what our kids are sharing about themselves and the vulnerability and the openness with which kids share. But I'm just going to say that I believe kids are changing the culture in a really positive way by sharing about sexuality and mental health, by sharing about all of their experiences and identities. And I think that's a really positive change in our culture. But because those those of us were raised back in the day may have a different experience. I mean, I didn't even have to be told when I was a teenager. I was in therapy as a teenager. I didn't even have to be told it's stigmatized. Don't tell anybody. I got the memo, right? I just didn't say to friends, I've got to go. I have a therapy appointment. I just was like, I got, I've got to go. Or I have a doctor's appointment, whatever. I would just lie. And again, you don't have to tell anyone even now if you're in therapy. It's fine if you want to keep that private. But I love living in a world where a teenager could say to their friends, I got to go. I have therapy. Or my therapist said this really smart thing the other day. Maybe this is helpful to you too or whatever. 
And so I think that's the world we live in now, that the kids are destigmatizing talking about mental health. They're destigmatizing talking about queerness. They're destigmatizing talking about experiencing harm, like sexual assault or harassment or racist aggressions in a way that then helps other survivors. And they're doing that and they're changing the world, but it makes us really nervous, I think, because we grew up with those stigmas. So if we can kind of let that go and look at the ways kids are changing the culture via social media in part, I think that can be really inspiring. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.